Oh, the never-ending recommendations for fitness tips and tricks on social media. It literally never ends. Do this, not that. Eat vegan. Eat carnivore. Don't eat breakfast. Do eat breakfast. Train nine days a week. Only walk for fitness. The only thing you should be doing is this. And definitely the only thing you should be doing is that. So much information, it's so hard to figure out what's real and what isn't. Unless you listen to a true expert. Someone who's actually lived it and has helped thousands of other people better themselves in the world of fitness, nutrition, and overall health. And that's exactly what our guest today does. Our guest today is Cody Watkins. Cody's a fitness expert, a successful bodybuilder, and has helped more people than you could ever imagine create the best version of themselves. It's time to go simple, to uncomplicate what has been complicated, and to get real about fitness secrets that actually work. So friends, are you ready? Three, two, one, let's go. Hey everyone, what's going on? I'm Mike Fancher and welcome to this episode of the MindFit Method Podcast. All right, guys, we're going to switch it up a little bit today and I am so stoked. With me today, I have Cody Watkins. Cody is an unbelievable bodybuilder with an even more unbelievable story behind him. And on top of it, he helps people all over the world in the world of health and fitness and becoming the best version of themselves. So Cody, I am so stoked to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, great to be here. That's going to be fun, man. I'm excited. So tell me a little bit, like, how did we get here? Tell me a little bit about your journey and what really kind of sparked your interest in bodybuilding and fitness at the age of like 15. Yeah. So I started really young and it was probably a similar story to most people. Like I was chubby in high school. Like you don't expect to get ladies and like you don't like people running their mouth, right? So you got to get strong so you beat people well and you got to be attractive, right? So I ended up experimenting with diets and stuff, ketogenic diet and all that. I went from having man boobs to actually getting some sick back abs. That was pretty cool. But I was so small by the time I got there. And then it was just the hamster wheel of recent, right? So I was tiny. I'm like, okay, I'm going to read how to get big. And then I got in that yo-yo. But fitness was the only thing I enjoyed, right? Like I was taking two weights classes a day. I was being a TA for one, right? I was taking weights for the other. I didn't really go to many of the other classes. I just kept it mostly related. And then when I got out of school, I didn't really necessarily know what I was going to do. I think like most younger people. And then I had a, a friend and we were at like a little get together, right? And he was working at GNC. He's like, oh, come on down, man. I'll get you a job. I'm like, hey, free supplements, right? And so yeah, I started working at GNC and it just so happened to be one by the, the bigger gyms, like 24 Hour Fitness and stuff. And I always had put like personal trainers up on a pedestal and I would watch them come in there and I knew more than that. And so it was really a unique situation because they're over there making like three or four times what I was. Right. right. But, but I'm smarter than them. Like what, what's going on here? So I actually, I didn't come from bodybuilding per se. I came from powerlifting. Right. So I was a big bench press in school, like 325 when I was 17, all that stuff. And I had a my buddy, uh, Bob McCabe, we used to train together when we were like 19 and he was a world record deadlifter. I know he's pulled like 675. I think at the time we were training like 600 ish at 19 years old, like 205. So strong guy. So we ended up doing some powerlifting competitions, right? But I get to those and 
was pretty out of place because most power lifters are not super lean and right. I'm walking around with abs and more like bodybuilder style. And so it was when I got to working at 24 hour fitness as a trainer, when I was 19, that's when there was all the bodybuilder guys in there. I'm like, Oh man, you should do a show. We should do a show. And it just kind of spirals from there. That's incredible. And I know you've made unbelievable gains. You've really taken your health and your fitness to a whole new level. And then all of a sudden, one day you get what I would call a slight derailment. Um, and could you dive in a little bit about your experience of discovering, managing that all of a sudden you have a heart condition you had no idea about and how it literally sidelined you? One, yep. well, the, the irony is looking back, I had symptoms the whole time. But when you're coming in and you're, I, I was sub, I was single digit body fat all year. So when I would go to the doctor with some of the symptoms, they brush it off because right. it was visibly so healthy. And so I went in, I was, I'm guessing pitting around my ankles when I was like 21, nothing, nothing major, but you shouldn't have edema when you're seven, 8% body fat. Like you just don't get soft lines like that. So they're like, oh, it must be the salt, but they never looked in anything. So I just brushed it off. And then training for bodybuilding, I was throwing up like three to four workouts a month. I thought that was just normal. Like I'm training hard every time I'd train legs. But what it was was my heart couldn't keep up. And so I did not realize any of this till I got post-surgery kind of recap on that. I haven't thrown up since training. Well, I haven't even been sick to my stomach since. But it was like, I would be, see, I'm not, I'm puking in the bushes like after training legs pretty much, you know, like the two to four times a month. And I'm like, yeah, well, this is just what it takes. You got to train hard. And so all those things, every symptom I had was so easily to brush off to like kind of a side effect of bodybuilding. Oh, I'm getting winded because I'm bigger. Oh, I got water retention because I'm big. Oh, I'm training so hard. That's why I'm getting sick when this happens, right? So I had brought all those on. And so I was, I was actually six weeks out from the bodybuilding show. So I owned a Dexa scan machine at the time. So I was like 7% body fat right around 250. And I was six weeks out. I'm like, oh man, this is the easiest prep ever. So the next day I'm in there training one of my clients and I'm not like, it's like a lady client. So just mom and pa kind of style, right? This is trying to train a competitor intense or anything, but it's in-person training. And I remember I'm sitting there by the Smith machine and I, I looked at my Fitbit because I just felt a little on off and my resting heart rate was like 105. And I'm like, that's yeah, nothing, right? And I just kept looking at it and uh, I was feeling just really off. So I ended up, and I was training like 10 full people a day. So I, I literally text them all five minutes before. And that's not like me at all, right? But hey, I'm not feeling good. I got to cancel, right? And I drove home. And I'm like, I got bad sleep. That's the problem. That's my goal. <laughs> lay on the couch, right? I'm trying to take this nap. And my dogs are climbing all over me. I'm like, I just need to take a shower. That's the problem, right? So I get in the shower, trying to calm it down. And by then, it's nothing's changed, right? And it's still, because you don't think heart problems. So yeah, I was 30 yeah. years old. Right? So I'm like, Okay, a bad sleep. And I'm running through everything I think. I'm like, ah, my electrolytes are off. That's got to be it. I'm like, I'll drive up to the Minimart and get a coconut one. Cool. Right. So I, I had this big hole lifted truck and a Mustang. So I'm in a big truck. I drive up there and the Minimart's like three minutes away. So I get there. I buy the coconut water. Right. I get back in the truck and now my heart rate's like 140, just sitting in my truck. And I'm like, and it, it's thumping. Like you can see it in my chest. Right. So I pulled home and I'm not someone who externalizes stress too good. I'm either like happy or pissed. There's not a lot in that. And so like, I didn't have an emotion for that situation. So I remember my wife worked from home and I pulled in uh, at home and I was like, I texted her. I'm like, Hey, 
I think I need to go to like urgent care or something. I think something's, something's going on with my, my heart. And so she was like, she comes out like her pajama pants, right? And hands me my insurance card. Well, just drive up to urgent care. And I'm like, I, I don't want to be like a bitch. I'm like, I feel like I at this point, I'm like, yeah, okay. And I'm not really thinking. So I get in my lifted truck, which doesn't fit in the parking garage at the hospital. Oh, jeez. It's oh. I'm driving up there in urgent care. We're, we're back where I was from Washington. Wow. Urgent care is right next to the hospital. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to urgent care. Like the way up there, man, my vision's going black. I'm like, this is not urgent care material. Like I'm going to go there. Well, I'm trying to park this big ass truck. You know, I pull around the parking lot for like five minutes trying to find a spot. Right. I do manage to get a park, but I have to walk like 400 feet to get to the ER. I get in there and they're, they're all home and all that stuff. And I'm trying to panic because I'm like, maybe she's a panic attack. So they put me in the blood pressure cuff, which never read right anyways, because they got big ass arms, but it put my, put my blood pressure at like 260. So they're like, oh, yeah, we need to get you in. So then they, they got me pretty much immediately back. But they go do an EKG. EKG was normal, just really fast. It's tachycardia. Got me back in there. I was, I was really gaunt at this point. So then I hit, had to tell my wife, like, hey, they're keeping me overnight. So she goes up to the hospital and we're in there. And I don't have a primary doctor. I'm healthy. I don't need anything. And so they're coming in. They wouldn't, they didn't want to give me blood pressure pills because primary has to be crowded. They're just in the arm. So I'm like, right. yeah, but blood pressure is sky high. And so they were giving me uh, nitroglycerin patches yep. to get it down. And one of the, one of the texts comes in and they ended up, they, there was a little bit of troponin in my blood, not enough to indicate like heart attack, but enough that it shouldn't be there. And so like, so they ended up getting an echocardiogram in there and I didn't know it at the time, but I don't know if you've seen any of those, but it should be like blue, red, red, blue, one, the, one on each side, right? One color, one color. Yep. And my look like a swirly ball. Wow. But, I had no context to know what normal was. So I'm like, oh, okay. And the texts aren't like, you're going to die. They're just like, yeah, we'll get to, to the main doc. They don't want to say that. And so we go in and they admitted, admitted me. So I was in there for like three or four days. So they did a CT scans and did all the dives. And then they did a, the trachea echo, which is awful because they were trying to look at my bowel. And they were pretty much going to keep me in there. I got pretty stubborn by about four days because I wasn't doing anything. Like mm-hmm. get medication, I sit in the bed. So I'm like, why am I here? And they're like, well, we, we got to watch you. I'm like, okay, so my blood pressure stays under X amount. I'm not going to die. I go home. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, cool. We got to get a meeting with the heart surgeon. And that's where it just kind of spiraled out from there. I, it's crazy for people that haven't had a cardiac issue before. I was just over a year ago, had a stressful, crazy day at work. Every day is stressful, stressful, crazy, but you know, stressful day. Got home that night. I was about quarter to eight. Sat down on the couch, watched a little TV with my kids, and my iWatch makes a sound that I've never heard before. He sound. I'm like, what is that? Yeah. So I look at it, and it says, "Alert! You've been sedentary for more than ten minutes, and your resting heart rate's over 130 beats a minute." And I'm like, "What the?" Now I'm a runner, so I track my resting heart rate, and I'm generally 57, 59. Oh yeah, if you're a runner, it's low. Like so, I'm like, "What is this?" Yeah. So. I didn't believe it. Yeah. So I click, I hit the heart rate thing on my iWatch and it says at that point, like 136 beats a minute. <laughs> so my son's sitting across the way from me and I was like, hey, give me your iWatch for a minute. Mine's broken. And it's telling me something weird. Yeah, the, but I take my watch off. Like that, man, I did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I took my watch off, put his on. Now I'm at 140 beats a minute. And I'm yes, like, all right, now I'm just stressing myself out. Yep. 
And I could feel in the back of my neck, I could feel it thumping like a bass in a car, right? Like, this is crazy. I'm like, I'll be fine. I'm like, I'm going to go drink some water. Yeah. And my wife's like, maybe, maybe she like go downstairs, like meditate or something. Like, just calm mm-hmm. yourself. I had a stressful day. And I'm like, yeah, I'll be fine. So I do though. I go downstairs. I put on some like weird meditation thing on the TV in the basement. And I'm like, yeah, this is not working. Like, I don't feel better. But the next day, our two boys, well, we have three boys, but one of them is at the U.S. Naval Academy going yeah. through a, a STEM camp. Mm-hmm. So he's in Annapolis, Maryland. We're in New Jersey. My other son is graduating high school the next day. So my wife and I are dividing and conquering, right? Yeah. She's going to the graduation. I got to get up at three o'clock in the morning to drive down to Annapolis to go pick him up. Yeah. So I get up at 3.30 in the morning. I barely slept that night anyway. Heart's racing. I'm like, I got to go. Which was honestly still going in the morning. What? It was still going. On. Oh, it was still going like crazy in the morning. And honestly, it was a stupid move. If you're listening to this, don't ever do that. Because honestly, I could have had a heart attack and died or killed somebody else or even my son for that matter. I go down, I pick him up. I go through the whole ceremony down there. We drive all the way back racing. I mean, my heart is like dying. One, when it's that, your anxiety is through the roof. You don't even realize yeah, it. You're sweating. Like you just, you're afraid to move. Like you can't yeah. even, because all of a sudden you've lost control of something that you always have control of. So it, nothing makes sense. And yeah. as it turned out, I go to bed that night, still don't sleep, pounding, thumping, heart rate's like 150 beats a minute at this, yeah. at this point. It just keeps going up. Yeah. So the next morning I come downstairs, my wife's like, you look like death. You need, need to go to the ED. And I'm like, honestly, I just read, if I eat a banana, it's gonna, <laughs> and she goes, take your banana and shove it. You need to go to the ED because you're just stubborn, right? You're like, yeah. and honestly, not only am I stubborn, I don't want to know. Yep. Right? I don't want to know like what's it wrong. It makes denial and being stubborn. So like, you'll try to justify why it's here. I did it for 10 years. Yep. So I wind up going to the doctor and they do all the same things they, that they did to you. And I'm in full A flutter. So my heart is been for like three days of that. It wasn't even fib. It was flutter. Yeah. So yeah. I was just racing and my, I didn't have any unusual ECG. It was just super, super fast. Okay. And so they, they're like, they give me all these drugs. They can't get it to slow down. Yeah. So they essentially have to do what's called a cardio version. So they stop your heart and restart it and feel better. Discharge me from the hospital the next day. Yeah. Three weeks later, boom, happens again. So I have to go get another cardio version, do the whole same process again. They put me on a really low dose of metoprolol, literally the lowest dose that they can give you. I haven't had any well, issues. You know, blood pressure issues, so they don't want to go on too low then. Right. Like that was, a, I literally on 25 mics. So it's like yeah. nothing, right? It's the lowest dose they give you. But I already have low blood pressure. I already have a, a low normal heart rate. And I can say for a year now, mm-hmm. I've been okay. But when you lose control of that mm-hmm. cardiac, thing, like, you break your arm, you're like, oh crap, I broke my arm, but I'm going to yeah. get a cast and everything's fine. That's different. I, and that's a fear that freaked me out. And I don't know if it did you too, but that was it, nuts. Yeah, I, I didn't really, especially it was the contrast, right? Right. I go from like, just getting these numbers, like I'm Billy Badass at this point, right? I'm, oh, I'm this big. I got this much muscle. I just hammered out legs. I'm going to crush this show to like, you can walk, but not up hit. Right. Like, mm. and so you, you gotta remember, like, I didn't know anything about bodybuilding or lifting at least from age 15 to 30. About a decade and a half 
of the only skill set I had anything in right. getting ripped out from under me. And it's, it's a lot of, huh? <laughs> yeah. And then you look at like people chain smoking. I'm like, they're 80. And I got yes. a probability that I don't make it through this. Yeah. And that you want to get bitter, right? That's the first thing you want to do is you want to go down that road. Like, why me? Poor me. That's bullshit. Look at that. And that's where like, I had to make a decision because like, I could be an ass, right? So it's really easy to go down that road if I let it. But I'm like, I, I can't do that. So, I mean, you probably know, but like Dr. Joe Dispenza, right? I went through a lot of his breaking the habit of being yourself, right? So using that kind of stuff, you know, I, I think like one of the biggest things that did really well for me was the journal. And so it'd be like, I would write down just a bunch of stuff I was grateful for and then some post goals. Right. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I wasn't really sure if I was going to make it. I was kind of trying to bullshit myself through. Right. <laughs> but it was better than the other option. And so I was still going in and training clients. I just made them move their own weights. I was still going in and helping people doing posing for bodybuilding shows until like the show was on the day my first surgery was. Right. So I was getting texts while well, the next day. Right. So I'm in there like just opening up parts of getting texts to see how my clients are doing. And so, <laughs> and so, so you have open heart surgery, you find out you're in stage four cardiac failure. Now you've got, that was the iron, right? So they didn't know that. Oh, so when I went in, they did that echo. And the first echo was actually normal shark function, but my hair was three times the size of shimmy. Okay. My aortic root looked like it was dilated, right? So they were going to have to refix that in surgery. But because of my age and what I did, they wanted to see if I was a candidate for the Ross procedure, the same one Arnold had done. So they picked a pulmonary valve, put on the aortic, replace the pulmonary sense of less pressure with a tissue valve, right? So I'm like, cool, right? I don't want to be on drugs, like the warfarin, the blood thinners, all that, cool. And so they they talked to that surgeon. They're like, nah, you're not a, you're not a candidate for it, right? You're, you're going to rip it with how you train. And like, it's not good. So they did another, that trachea echo was three days later and my ejection fraction went down to 40. So for the listeners, 55 to 65 is normal. So that was stage one heart failure, which has a five-year shelf life. Okay. I didn't know any of that at the time, that 40%, right? Well, that was in three days. So the surgery wasn't until five or six weeks later. Cause I ended up meeting with all the, the heart surgeons. They had got so excited that I was going to live. They didn't finish the CAT scan. So I had to go back in and get more pictures taken. So he could see where all the arteries were on my heart. Right. Go in for the heart surgery, right? Six weeks later. And they, and I, I was watching them on my blood work, right? My liver and my kidneys were shut down. My GFR was going through the floor. AST, ALT going through the roof and I'm not training where I saw anything going on. My CK levels were up just because all that muscle breakdown. So I was such a big guy, just atrophy. So blood look, looked terrible mm-hmm. getting closer to it. So they had to make sure you're healthy enough not to die, even though if they don't do it, you're going to die, right? Kind of a weird balance. And uh, like, I, like I said, they told me I could walk without a pill. So I wasn't doing anything. And so by the time they got me actually in for the surgery, my heart function was down to 15 to 20%, but I was regurgitating at 50%. So I was essentially walking around at five to 10% heart function. Wow. Wow. That's, but then what's amazing is that you went from that situation, surgery. How do you make the decision to say, all right, I'm patched up and I'm going to go back to bodybuilding? <laughs> well, there was there was one more in between there too. So I actually ended up getting an inguinal hernia, getting my big ass out of bed after the heart surgery, right? So 
I am because I'm like, I'm stubborn, right? So I'm like, I want this done as soon as I can because I want to be recovered so I get back to training. So five weeks after open heart surgery, I have double hernia surgery. Wow. So I wasn't all the way healed up here. I, I talked him into getting it in me as, as soon as I could to get that done. But that was a whole hell of a healing process amongst itself, right? Coming out of that. But some of the issues, like, so they ended up putting a, a mechanical valve in. So I'm on warfarin blood thinners and all that. They tried to replace it. That didn't work. So they, so they literally put me back together. It ripped. They ripped me back open. And just for like sake of knowledge, right? Normal person, like someone your size, probably 45 minutes to get your ribs open. It took mm-hmm. them an hour and 45 minutes to put me back together. Yeah. And so my heart surgery was like nine hours, right? And so when I came out of that, I had lost my hematocrit was down from like, it was high before it was all the, the heart sub, like 56. I was like at 41 after the heart surgery. I lost a shitload of blood. Wow. And so when, when they got me out, right, I was asking the heart surgeon, went back and move and stuff again, right? What are the limitations of the valve? And he's like, it's, it's mechanical. Like it's, you're, you're not going to screw this up. You got to wait for your heart to heal. But they have kind of a 28 screws and seven plates in my chest. And a couple of these screws stick out, right? So now I can twang them on things. That's why there's a tattoo covering them because I'm sticking out at the bottom there. So the, like when I finally got cleared for training, that, I mean, as, as exciting as it was to get back to it, that was terrifying. Yeah. Because my heart's audible now. Okay. So right. you gotta remember the only reason I knew that I had a heart problem was because of how fast it was beating. Right. You know how fast your heart sounds like it's beating when you constantly hear it. You figure if you're resting already 60, it's a beat a second. Yeah. It sounds pretty quick. Right? You hear the you hear the ticking, right? Of oh, the actual loud. It's audible, man. So I got the big I got the biggest valve that they could put in someone. <laughs> I, I lost no gradient to a normal size artery. Right. So I have no performance limitations when it comes to that. I pump the same amount of blood. Right. So that was the cool part about it. But it is very noisy and I can feel it vibrate every tick. Yep. So like <laughs> in that part, I don't know. Like I'm one of the people that I have not got used to it today, right? It's been five years. Some people they say it doesn't bother over right? but me, I have not I have not fallen asleep in my bed in two years. I fall asleep on the couch every night and then stumble into bed. Because I, if I lay in bed, I listen to my heart and I have to focus, man. I can't shut it off. What's funny when you have, and as the listeners know, I've I had a hip replacement when I was 22 years old. You go through an airport for years, I set everything off, right? And then they're wanting you and everything. And now, I don't know if you experience this too, but if I walk through an airport and I don't set it off, I start looking at the guys like, your equipment is not <laughs> yeah. right. Not getting on this plane. I get to go through the hands off thing. Use your hands off. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I know now you spend, in addition to your own training, you spend so much time helping people all over the globe, really in the way that you're training them. Tell me a little bit about your approach to helping clients of all body types and fitness levels really go to achieve their goals. Because everyone wants this Instagram perfect world that we live in, right? How do you help people start on step one and then move through the process? Well, I think one of the things, and this wouldn't be my process exactly, but like for your listener's sake, when you're looking at a lot of these fitness influencers, for no better word, a lot of them have a uh, phony appearance when it comes to the land of online. So if you know a lot of people, a lot of these people in person, 
a lot of them are very broken individuals. So even if you knew that, right, they, they may look glamorous, but they don't always have lives you would want to aspire to. And so like not, not knocking, there, there's good ones out there too, but it's all in context because you gotta, you gotta appreciate like some of the stuff you have and just make your life better rather than comparing to this guy that you're putting up on a pedestal, guy or girl, right? That you're putting up on a pedestal that other than that amazing physique, they might not have a lot going for them. That, that would be step one sidecast of what I do. And then right. past that, when I get people in, the biggest mistake I personally see people do is they start to extreme. And I know it sounds like crazy because we're talking about, oh, I'm just going to brush this problem off. But that's probably one of the biggest learning experiences I had through all this because I have an all or nothing personality. And so you, you think that those are really beneficial, but they're not for most people because most people, the minute you start to, one of the best analogies I've heard for it was like, if I had to cross this room, right? And you were directly in my path, my goal was to get behind you. I just plug open. Right. Cause my goal is right there. I wouldn't go around you because that's a detour. And so the, one of the biggest things is you never look at what's left in the wake of your destruction. So the people that hyper focus, now it's all of a sudden the whole family's eating chicken, rice, and broccoli because mom's on the diet or dad's on the diet. Well, they start to hate you or resent you to some degree for punishing them. And so with that, you're never going to sustain it. Likewise, it's not fun to make that much of a 180. So I like to take it a couple steps back and bring it down to little tiny increments. And if we can make these little subtle changes, a plan that doesn't feel like a plan is a plan that you can stick with. So you know, where a lot of people start, if your diet's terrible, embrace it, right? If you're going out to fast food three or four times a week, I know that eating quote unquote cleaner is healthier. Okay. We all know that. But realistically, if you switch to a diet Coke and a small fry, you're going to lose weight, right? And that may give you enough momentum to take the next step and clean it up a little bit because winners win. And losers lose. So if you try to do this extreme diet, you break, you're going to go, see, I can never stick with anything. But if you go, well, I have to use order a small fry and a diet Coke. Yes. Let's start there. Now you lose a pound or two in a week. That feels pretty damn good. And you didn't do a whole lot of work to get there. Right. And that's where people are going to get their biggest victories from. I actually just did a podcast episode. It was a solo episode I did about three or four weeks ago. And the title of it was Intensity Versus Consistency. Mm-hmm. And consistency wins almost every single time. Because ex- I said exactly what you said, is that people go into things, and think of the first time, you haven't worked out in 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. And you all of a sudden, you're like, I'm going to start training. And you go in days a week, first day, <laughs> and you're going to hit a five-hour session in your first day, right? Mm-hmm. How much more training are you doing the rest of that week? Probably mm-hmm. zero. Probably the rest of that month. You're going to be right. so, you can't move. Not fun. You heard there was no good experience on it. Go in and work out for 30 minutes, spend a little time on a treadmill, lift a little bit of, do some training and leave. And you just made progress. But if you can do that consistently, those micro habits and those micro changes will take you so much further than, like you said, those massive, I'm going all in. Well, and I, th- I think that's one of like Hermosity's gifts, right? Because he breaks everything down for his business people to do little win. Yeah. But it applies to anything. So yeah. if you if you're looking at a staircase and it's 12 steps up and go, wow, how am I going to get up there? One step at a time. Right. But we gotta take those steps. So the the extremes, although they can work, it's like when I work with fitness competitors, I don't work with as many competitors anymore. I like normal people, like normal lifestyle people, because they're not as psychologically broken, right? The competitors come in and they are 
they're very broken individuals. So you gotta, you gotta fix a lot of those things because again, it's that light switch. Right. And so with all the competitors I work with, they, they usually have like a three to five year shelf life, not necessarily my clients, but the ones I see, because I'll get the recovery ones that they did prep and you look at them like they got amazing shape. They did all this. And you're like, why, why, why do they need a coach just to be in good normal shape? Because right. they don't know how to throttle back. They only know how to go all in two a day. Da, 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 da. And they have so much resent for that because how terrible it feels. They can't even think of taking the first step. Yeah. So you'll see people that were on stage, like we had 6% body fat, 180, 200, 220 pounds, and you would never guess they'd ever competed. Right. Because you're so paralyzed to move because that in between is the magic. That's where the magic's. I remember as a, as a kid, when I first started to become an athlete and I was a runner, I was a cross country runner, I was a track runner, but I lifted because I grew up in a household with a dad who was a bodybuilder and that was just normal. And I remember my coaches being like, yeah, you're a runner, you don't lift. Strength training, this was all the way back in the day, right? It'll slow you down. <laughs> it'll slow you down. You'll become muscle bound. You have no flexibility. All the things that they told us back then. And then it's been awesome to watch, whether it was basketball players. Think about the Larry Birds of the world, right? Versus the basketball players today that are ripped. They're jack like They have some serious muscle on them. To even now, you look at marathon runners. My wife and two of my boys are running the Philly Half Marathon in two days. And, but you look at the marathon runners today, they're not just super skinny people that are runners. All of a sudden they're toned, they're muscular, they've got upper body muscle. It's not just about the legs anymore. Strength training has finally gotten to a point where, you know, if you say, oh, if you want to lose weight, should you go run on a treadmill or should you start strength training? And finally I'm hearing the conversation go the way it needs to go. Can you dive it's in? Been, it's been fighting for a while. <laughs> yeah, it's been a, it's been a long time of God forbid you strength train. You'll just get big and bulky. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit why strength training is particularly important for men and women, the benefits it offers beyond just muscle building? The, the, I mean, strength building, that's, that's the fundamental. So the, the thing to think of with it, with that, if you didn't have your muscle, you would be at a giant pile of bones on the ground. So from functionality standpoint, like you have to have that. The other thing with the clan and hormones and all this stuff, we got to find ways to simulate it. Your body is huge on use it or lose it. If it doesn't see a reason for it, it's going to get rid of it. That's why the astronauts struggle with it so much without the gravity. Their bone density goes both to hell in a handbasket, right? So doctors will be quick to pump calcium and stuff in women and trying to fix that, but not necessarily going to strength training, which is going to get the response in the bones to dense it, right? So when people are looking at it, they you have to look at the fundamentals and Sarcopenia happens after the age of 30. So if we're declining muscle years after years after years, well, your health is declining. And all you have to do is strength training. So that metabolism loss that people think they see, that's not your metabolism going down. That's your muscle mass going down, which technically is your metabolism, but you're burning less calories. So then you burn a little less every year. You eat a little bit more. Before you know it, you say, I have a slow metabolism. When really, you spent 15 years losing that muscle to get to this point. And then when you go to start back up in the gym, you want results in two weeks, right? But it took you 15 years to get to this point. So, but from that aspect, energy levels, right? You, you have to be in motion to create emotion. You have to have that stimulus on the body in order to do so. And that's where a lot of people fail with this. So if you're using that body, the hardest thing to do is when you're tired, you feel like you have no energy. You're waiting for that energy motivation lightning bolt to strike you to go to the gym. Get off your ass and do it. 
Because I promise once you get it done, you will have more energy than you ever could imagine. But if you sit there and wait for the energy to even start, it's never going to help. It works in reverse. You got to do the action first and then you get the product. I've often said before that you can't use your mind to get your mind out of a funk. <laughs> use your body to get your mind out of a funk. And so much of that in the world of mind fate ties into those neurotransmitters, those neuromodulators, but all of those are released because of muscle contraction. It's literally that simple. If you're not doing those muscle contractions, you're not going to get the same effect. It's, it's crazy how people, motivation is always that fair weather friend, right? Motivation sounds really good when you're planning and you're thinking about, I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to start eating right. It's going to be so easy. It's going to be perfect. I'm going to meal prep. I'm going to do all these things. And then the first day you go out to exercise and it's cold and it's rainy. And guess what? Motivation is nowhere to be found, right? Uh, it has <laughs> left you cold in the dust. It ghosted you. Yes. I agree with you a hundred percent. In addition to training though, there's always the old saying, you can't exercise your way out of a bad diet, right? Talk to me a little bit about the balance of nutrition and exercise and how they both contribute, not only to being successful in bodybuilding, but being successful in any form of training. Yeah. And with nutrition, I, I don't think it gets enough low when it comes to training. So training is a little bit easier to do, right? Not saying that lifting is easier or anything, but you can go to the gym, move some weights and you think you're training. But really just working out, right? Training, there's a methodology to it, right? You get a method of the madness. But with nutrition, if I was to put it into any like context for myself, I wouldn't even bother training if my nutrition wasn't at least decent good. That's how important it is from the, the weight training aspect, right? If you're result seeking. Now, if you're just doing it for, you know, mental health, cognitive, all that, feel free to work out whenever you want. But if you're trying to optimize body composition and all of that, Nutrition comes first, hands down. You're going to get better results having perfect nutrition training once a week than you would having garbage nutrition training five or six. And I think when people can step into that, the whole process becomes easier because we'll look at how much time commitment it takes. Oh, I can't go to the gym six days a week. Yeah, but you're already at home. You can change your food. You can eat better. You can increase your protein. You can work on nutrition anywhere. And if that's going to give me a better catalyst when I'm going to training, let's do that, right? If one day can give me the results of five because I dial that nutrition, hell yeah, that's the best way to do it, right? So that's, that would be where I put it in that context. Now, training has its own importance, but I think the more in shape, the more conditioned you are, the more paramount that is. In the infancies, it is not as important. And I know I'm coming from like a health coach, right? Like, but, but it's not as important in the beginning. Is it beneficial? Absolutely. But I like people train more 100%. But if I had to choose one, the nutrition, then the training. But as you get more, more in shape, it takes more to get the same results. It takes more to get more results. So you, you have to have a higher time commitment when you're seeking a higher caliber of body. I know there's so many debates when it comes to health and fitness, especially in the bodybuilding world. I think the only debate that is bigger in the Arnold Schwarzenegger training mantra of volume and time versus the Mike Mentzer training volume of give me one good set all the way to failure and you're good is protein. How much protein for the average person looking to get better, for the elite athlete, and then for the bodybuilder, 
Where do you think those protein ranges should be based on a per pound of body weight? I might feel a little biased on this one, but I pretty much all group them all on the same one, right? Okay. Bodybuilding, maybe you need a little bit more because you got intense training, right? You might have some burn off. Yep. But I'm always a minimal of one gram pound of lean tissue, right? Now, bodybuilder, I'll bump it up a little bit if we need some food volume increase, right? It's got a higher thermodynamic rate, so it's less likely to stick his body fat, all that good stuff, right? We can increase food volume with it if we need to. They are actually breaking down a massive amount of tissue in comparison to a normal person. So if you get like just a house mom, right? She's going through and she may be training hard for her, but she's got 80, 80 pounds of lean tissue, whereas this bodybuilder guy has 220. So the amount of breakdown he has is massive in comparison. So he may need to overshoot it, but that's that bare minimum. Because even from a general health standpoint, it's not that we don't need it. Like amino acids are responsible for almost every neurological function in the body. So we need those. A, complete proteins, right? Not like, I get a potato. There's three grams of it. We need that cleaning, complete protein, right? That's in there. And then we need enough to get the results we're after. So if that protein's low and you start starting an exercise regime, you're not going to gain muscle you're going to strip it away because you don't have enough building blocks to even preserve it. So that protein is paramount to any goal, whether it's cutting, bulking, bodybuilding, normal person, that's where that's at. And then the normal people usually notice three benefits, right? So they'll get increased satiety. You're much more full when you eat protein. So it's even if we just shifted the normal person, just tell them, hey, eat protein first. That's the first thing they clear off their plate before they have a bite of potatoes, a bite of pasta, a bite of anything else. They would automatically lose weight every week because their portion size would go down by default. And so it's kind of like a diet hack, right? Cool. We, we do that. We need it for the muscle mass. And then protein, that thermodynamic rate. So carbs and fat will, bump, will clump in, but two to 5% metabolic rate. Protein 20 to 30. So if we're eating a thousand calories from each, like protein can burn pretty much a Stairmaster session of calories just digesting. So anything that we can do that's going to get a Stairmaster calories by doing nothing, Absolutely, because that's an easy win. Uh, the people don't realize too, I mean, the gastric motility of protein is so much slower. So it's moving through your system because it takes so much longer to digest. You eat a bagel, that's through your system in an hour. You eat, you know, a steak or a big chicken or something like that, it's going to take two and a half, three, four hours to actually go through your system. Yeah. It's, it well, is. Have you, seen, have you seen the study on the children? No. Okay, so I didn't, well, that's generic, right? But oatmeal and eggs. Okay. okay. So I'll paraphrase the numbers, right? You can look it up. I'll, I'll get a plus, right? But they're, they're going to be a little off. So they took three group of children, right? So the kind that can't lie because they're young enough. And they fed them all, I believe it was 300 calories of each. So one of them was 300 calories of oatmeal. One was 300 calories of steel cut oats. And the other was 300 calories of eggs. And they gave them a button and they said, hey, push this when you're hungry and we'll bring you what you want, right? So they put them on timer and all that. The oatmeal group, ate 70% more calories than the egg group. And the steel cut oat ate 50% more. Because of that feeling of fullness, right? Like the diet. And so because the other stuff, like you said, it goes through that system so quick, you're not left full. It's like when you're eating potato chips. Has anyone ever ate potato chips and actually filled up? It's just mindless, right? You could put 2,000 calories in that down. Now, same time, try eating 2,000 calories of chicken, steak, fish, shrimp, whatever. You were you will not finish two thousand calories of it before you're full. Yeah, it kind of reminds me. We, we talked about Alex Ramosi before, but Alex's diet is he eats two pounds of lean protein per day, and then whatever he eats after that, he doesn't care. But that has to be the core part of his meal per day. 
And he's got enough muscle mass to do that, right? So maybe if you were a normal size human, right, you got to monitor it a little bit, right? So instead of eating eight slices of pizza like you want, maybe stop at five or six. I know before you talked a little bit, we talked a little bit about consistency. And we kind of talked about motivation too and the lack or really how it's, I've always viewed motivation as a drug, but something that you want to be there and it never is when you need it. But tell me a little bit, how do you help people that really are struggling to maintain consistency. I know you talked before about breaking it into smaller things, not going all in. Any other strategies that you'd recommend for that? Well, with the, the consistency part, you have to do things that make you a winner. Because if you set those blocks so high, even if it's what you want to achieve, and like you're looking at it like on a, it's like, I think it was exactly the powers on the list, right? Just check it off when it's done. Well, if you're looking at a bunch of stuff that you should have did and it's not checked off, you're not motivated to keep going. So what you got to do is as, as trivial as it sounds, you have to break it down into the littlest things. So if you're having trouble logging all your food, maybe dedicate two minutes a day where you're going to do a reconcile. You do, do your whole day then, right? So you got to block it off. If you're having trouble getting your water in, maybe set a timer on your phone, right? So you can get a win. Oh, I got all my water in. Oh, I got all this in. But you got to start with the basics, right? Move your body, drink more fluid, get your protein. If you can do those three, you're going to see the waist going down, the scale moving, more energy. Something is going to happen where as much as you might not be motivated to do it, you're going to see the results and you're going to go, that was easy. I think I could do a little bit more. But if you don't check those boxes and you keep reaching for the more extreme stuff, you're setting yourself up for failure, right? And I love people that work hard. Absolutely love it. But those are the people that you'll get as I call reoccurring customers, right? Every two or three years, they'll come back for more. And that's not the goal. Any That should not be the goal of any coach, right? I, I want you done when I'm done with you. You're able to do this stuff on your own so you're not hemorrhaging. So you've got to teach people the fundamentals. You've got to teach people the habits. And when you can teach them how to eat and modify what they're currently doing, that's when it sticks. So if you're someone who doesn't eat breakfast, right? And I'm like, okay, you need to eat two cups of eggs, two egg whites, turkey sausage, a couple of meal and piece toast. You're going to have a staring fondus every single morning when you get up. It's never, it's never going to go down, right? Likewise, if there's someone who eats breakfast, cool, man, have a protein shake. Well, that's going to set you up for failure. You're not going to be super full after that, right? So same thing, right? The, the strategies that you implement have to fit you, your lifestyle, and your schedule. And if you can't get a plan that does that, it's not a good plan at all. So break it down to the basics, subtle, liberal changes. It's like the, how do you boil a frog, right? Like right. Yeah, slowly, right? It doesn't actually work like that, but you don't throw the frog in and he'll jump right out, right? So same thing when, if you're new and wanting to start a fitness journey, stop right where you're at and think, where can I get highest result for the least amount of, and those are the boxes you want to check first. Because again, if all you did was switch to Diet Coke and you lost three pounds this week, I'm going to tell you right now, next week, you're going to keep switching to Diet Coke because you've seen a result from it. That's pretty damn easy. And those are what you want to look for to really excel in the fitness industry. Do you have some examples of some clients that you've worked with that really went into it initially on, I want to change my physique, I want to change my body. But in the end, the real benefits that they were able to reap, to reap from it were really more in their mental health world. It, it, it's about every one of them, right? So when people start a fitness journey, we think, that the body that we're going to get, we think that's the dream outcome. And it, it's part of it, right? I'm not going to say it's not enjoyable, but 
confidence, right? So how many people are uncomfortable in their own skin? It's mind blowing, right? And I think my, uh, my, my biggest eye opener for this, my, my wife and I went to Hawaii, like after, after a bodybuilding show, right? And it's been, she competed that year, right? So me, always been me competing, me, 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 me. So we go out and they're like, do you compete? You're right. And they do this feel, right? And she just kind of stands there and nods till we get done with the talking about fitness thing, right? And moves on. And we were like a week after a show, we go to Hawaii and the lady looks over in the gift shop and she goes, you compete. And I remember my wife just looks up at me and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> well, she ain't talking to me. And she's like, oh, right. And she just lights up. And then she's showing the pictures and all this. And I'm like, oh, we've been married like seven or eight years at the time. And I was like, Huh. that's it. That's the result. It wasn't the body. Yeah. It, it was what the, the body was part of it. Right. But it was, it was the, the happiness, the energy, everything that came with it, the confidence, all that stuff that I didn't even realize was missing until that moment. Right. right. And if you can do that for anyone, man, it, it's game changing. And sometimes you have to help them see it too, because they'll focus on maybe they're not quite done with their journey yet. Right. Especially when, you know, I, I've helped people lose over 150, 200 pounds, right? So when you're that big, like you're down a hundred, that's great. But all you look at is how far you have to go. Right. So sometimes you have to glance back to see because you're, you're not at your journey yet, right? Maybe there's some skin there. The stomach's got a little bit more than you like, but you're so busy beating yourself up about that. You can't be like, oh my God, I'm a whole new person. Right. right. And so it's, it's shifting that frame a little bit, but it's, that's probably one of the most rewarding jobs or part of the job, right? Is watching the mental shift they get when they get there. It's, it is mind blowing what people take out of them. I've, I've had people have training 20, 30 years. They look in the mirror a single time because how ashamed they felt about their body. They would go to dressing stores. They would not look in the mirror. They do not have a single mirror in their house. Wouldn't put on makeup because they didn't want to look at themselves. And then you get them in shape and they're like, oh my God, I caught my reflection walking by that car. And, and it's, I mean, I don't know how you put price. Like that's, it, it's amazing, but it's problems that typically like guys where we're sitting right currently, it's hard to frame them. If it wouldn't even cross your mind unless you heard it. I had a gal come in and she was 450, 500 ish when we started. So I think at the time we were down 150, 200 pounds, making Badass progress, right? And she comes in and she's like, stoked. And I'm like, what? Like, what's the win? You know, yeah. like, let's, right? And she's like, I have an armpit. And I'm like, yeah, hey, we all got two, right? Like, let's not really wrong. <laughs> but what didn't that, like, when you're bigger, you have an Audi, right? I, I had no idea. And that moment, man, it was like climbing Everest for her because, and it wasn't even like she had finished her goal, but like something like that. Because it was a sense of achievement, accomplishment. And like, yeah, we had more to go, but man, if, if people could just taste that, that win, that first victory like that, man, they wouldn't be blown away how easy this stuff gets after. I know you've competed many times in professional and bodybuilding competitions. What do you think are some of the misconceptions about bodybuilding in general? <laughs> There's a few, but my opinion of bodybuilding as a whole, it's not what you think. As a whole, I think a lot of the society is very broken and it's like the people looking at influencer being in amazing shape. I don't think the people in that industry for the most part are the people 
that you should aspire to be. And this is just from being in the trenches, right? Just being hundred percent real with it. I can count on one hand, how many of them I know that are married, right? They, it's a very self-absorbed sport. Everything in it is about you, right? So do you take away from family? If you got kids, a lot of people, I've watched them lose their jobs because their work performance goes down so much because it's extreme, but it doesn't feel good. And it's just, there's a point where it's not worth it, right? If you're a professional, you're making money. Hey, you do your thing, right? But after what you're saying, you would be blown away how many people hit my inbox that have heart issues and they just keep pushing. Like they're going to ignore their way out of it. So I, I have a little bit different viewpoint on it, right? And so I would love to say that it, it's great to aspire to get those amazing physiques, but don't do it at the expense of everything else in your life. I don't think you're going to find much reward in doing that. Let me ask, because one of my personal favorite podcasts is the Modern Wisdom Podcast with Chris Williamson. And recently he's had on Seabalm, he's had on Phil Heath, he's had on a bunch of other guys over the years, and he's, a couple of months actually, and he's asking them all the same question. And I am so stoked because I want to ask this same question of you today. So yes, Chris Williamson, I'm totally stealing this from you right now. Rest of your life, you can only do 10 exercises to train your whole body, what would they be for a muscle growth standpoint? And we're talking full body, you try to keep the physique and all that. Yes. 10. That's all you get. Well, as we age, the joints don't like it as much, right? So I'm going to pick one that they don't. They don't. I like easy stuff. I'm going to like a Smith machine. So I'm going to do Smith machine, squats or step backs, right? That would be the late component. So that was C-Bum's answer as well. Okay. Okay. A hamstring curl because there's really not a lot of other ways to train. Plus I have like a herniated L5. So stiff legs are not super fun. Okay. Leg extension, hit the quads. If we're going to do chest, I'm going to say an incline barbell bench. I'm not going to touch flat. That's how I rip my back. Incline barbell, get the shelf. Back, let's get some old school T-bar rows or hammer strength row. Either one will have more good. And we can do probably lap pull downs over pull ups, right? Then we need a shoulder exercise, dumbbell laterals. You can do an infinite amount of those because that's where it's going to get the best delts, dips for triceps, and dumbbell supination curls. That would check my boxes. Awesome. Awesome. And there, there were a lot of similarities in those lists. So definitely some ones to focus in on for all of you guys that are like, what exercises should I do for this? I know Jeff Cavalier is always talking about with Athlean X, this exercise or that exercise. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Let me ask, what are your top tips? Someone right now, they're looking to improve their overall health, overall fitness, regardless of their current state. What would be the top two suggestions you would make to start making a change? You're not doing anything. I mean, the, the first and foremost, and as much as we talk about nutrition leading the way, I, I do feel like going to the gym sets all that stuff in motion because there's there's a psychological component to getting a workout in, right? Whether it's even once a week, nobody wants to eat bad on the days they feel like they train because they feel like that training is going to get ruined. So it kind of forces you to get the nutrition component, right? Even though that is more important, it's a it's a a good segue, a good catalyst into it in order to do so. So if I was going to tell anyone anything, if you're not doing squat right now, start, get up to the gym, get some weight training and don't go up there, get on the cardio. No one 
is going to point, laugh, look at you. That I mean, that stuff doesn't happen. You see a couple of videos flying around YouTube. Most of them are staged. I've been in the gym for 17 years. I have never once seen that happen. I've, I've watched four or 500 pound people go into the gym and you know what happens? People go up to them and go, good for you. Yeah. Because it's, it, you don't see that, right? They're usually the ones sitting at home mewling around about it. So when people actually make that change, I have never seen it where people are encouraging them to do more by going there, right? But the exercise before the, before the nutrition is probably going to get you better results because it's going to walk that nutrition in even more. You don't want to eat the cake when you feel like you, you ruined your workout by doing so. For those people that are training hard, they're staying dedicated, they're dialing in their nutrition, they're doing the things they need to do in the gym. Talk to me a little bit about the importance of sleep and recovery. This one I may have a little bit different opinion on than most people. And this is so, being in the whole time I could be in bodybuilding, I was working about 230, 240 hours a month. I slept less than five hours a night, almost 12 years. And that was 100% normal. I worked seven days a week, right? So even on the weekend, I would sleep in till 6 p.m., but I would be up till midnight or one. So do I think sleep's important? Absolutely. But I will say this. I do think it is more important for women than men. And I do think it is more important for not supplemented people, like natural people versus TRT and or enhanced. Because a lot of the issues you get from sleep deprivation affect hormones. But if you're on synthetic hormones, you're not as apt to get those issues from it. And so women will typically need two, three, four more hours of sleep. The other thing that I would suggest for people is don't look at it like a time thing. The the, the art of sleep timing and I'm going on this little anecdotal here, right? You can read the lines and read the data. But if you look at like your smartwatches, you sleep in stages. So whatever, beta, theta, delta, delta, alpha, right? In the right there. But your brainwaves go through that. So you can watch your pulse rate, right? And it will go through cycles. So typically you'll sleep in cycles and you finish out with RAM and then back through. And so you'll watch that go through and people sleep with X amount of cycles a night. So for instance, like say, say you set your alarm at 7 a.m. this morning, right? Wake up. And you woke up at 6.30 and you're like, Dong, and you're like, no, I said seven, I'm going back to bed. What happens when you go back to bed and actually wake up seven? You feel you're worse. That's tired. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you wake up mid-sleep cycle. So I think a lot of people confuse the amount of sleep they need with the fact that they're waking up mid-sleep cycle. When in actuality, if they push their bedtime an hour or two later or half hour earlier, they would wake up right at the tail end of that sleep cycle and they would have a massive amount of energy in comparison. I know I haven't set an alarm probably in about 10 years. My normal time that I wake up is just before 4 a.m. every morning because 4 a.m. to 6 a.m., that's my creativity time. That's my productivity time before anybody else is awake. And I work full time, but if I'm writing a new book or if I'm editing podcast episodes, whatever it might be, that's my time to be able to do it. And to back up exactly what you said on those days where I'm like, you know what? It's a Sunday. I am going to sleep in a little bit. And I just lay there for a second. Same thing. When I wake up, I'm like, why did I go back to sleep? You never feel better. The rest of the day is garbage. Oh, it's terrible. Absolutely terrible. Well, that's, that's how I think I would get away with it when I was rolling with such minimum sleep. And then the other thing, I just slept in a recliner, right? And then it just felt like I was getting up from a nap. So I'm like, cool, right? And I don't recommend that horse, right? That was a tough <laughs> stream. But uh, 
I, I was very young and ambitious, right? And as I've gotten older, right, I, I sleep closer to like six or seven hours a night now. And like, I, I don't push the, I don't push the throttles much there. But for the sake of body composition, all that, like it can be done, right? I did it for years. Now, well, it's not optimal, but you can get away with a lot because at the end of the day too, like people are busy, right? 168 hours a week, you you only can delegate so many hours between traffic, work, maybe you got two jobs because, you know, maybe the economy's not in your favor right now. Hey, whatever. If you got to make it to the gym and you have to shuffle some time and maybe lose a little bit of sleep, I think the benefits are going to outweigh the little bit and you lose all the sleep, right? Maybe make it up on a weekend, take a power nap, hey, whatever. But you don't want to give up the one, I don't move that body, you got to get that stimulus. Set. So that's where you kind of, you got to play your sacrificial on that. It's like, what do I want to give up to get this? Agreed. Tell me a little bit about your business, the types of clients that you work with, and what you're really trying to do in your own world from your own business standpoint. Well, I'll, I'll backtrack that to the harsh review just a little bit. So when I was going through that, right, I didn't really think I was going to live. <laughs> so I don't think until you've had one of those moments that things really click, right? And one of the nagging thoughts I had was, this was all I've done. Like if you put on my tombstone, like this is it, right? And so at the time I was doing in-person, you know, like hybrid, right? But mostly in-person. And in-person, the reach is so limited. And so you you help people, but then they like you and you got a machine and they want to keep paying you forever, right? So it's easy money, but really it's like everyone gets to the point where it's maintaining and all that. They don't need you at that point. And so my, my reach was slouched. So when I did it, make a switch and go all online, it's like now I can do what I'm supposed to. So I'm able to help people all over the world, right? I've had people with chest surgeries over in Britain that I've helped getting photo sheet sheet and all this stuff. So that and it's super rewarding. We help a lot of medical professionals, night shifts, all that. So they get so busy helping everyone else, they never take time for themselves, right? So it's kind of like a selfless job and get home high strung and all that. But it's really, it's empowering people to get results they never thought they could. and I can focus on the fundamentals of what works. And when you're doing like in-person, you can't. So now I can focus on nutrition. I can focus on mindset. I can focus on the training. We can keep tabs of everything that we need to and really develop habits and sustainability that they wouldn't get showing up to for me to count some reps for them, right? So that, that was kind of a cool reach. We've helped over 2,000 people, including the in-person and online, 17 years of this. It's, it's been an amazing journey, right? I've helped cancer survivors actually get on bodybuilding stages. Do, do things that they never thought possible, right? 100, 150 pound weight losses. I put 60, 80 pounds of muscle on people. It's, it's been a absolute fantastic journey. And knowing everything you've done up to this point, the struggles you yourself have gone through, what's next for you? I want to do more. I still don't feel like I've done enough. We were talking briefly about this at the beginning, but I don't, I've never been to that point of satisfaction, right? It's like everything I think is going to like, that's going to be it. When I get there, I get it. And I just want a little bit more. So I'm still on the mountain climb, right? I, I haven't hit the peak I want to yet. And it's right. So it's, there's not a finish line to it yet. But I want to help more people because we're, we're in a horrible state in this country in the world with nutrition mindset and all that. And people are broken. And it's, it's sad to see because when you do like, like consults and stuff with people, you see the real though for that brief minute, not the them they post on social media and not the them they are to their friends, not the the mom that they're being strong to the kids or the husband, et cetera. You, people literally will break down in tears because they're so miserable. 
about the lives they're in. And man, if you can just, if you can get that back for someone, like I, I remember this is way, way back in the day. This would have been like 12, 15 years ago. I, I've been in shape so long. I, I, I hadn't quite put the value to it, right? I was getting people in shape and all that, but it means something different to everyone. And I had a gal and I was pinning a 24 hour fitness at the time, right? So like the money I couldn't change, right? They, you pay it or you don't throw it. That's it. And she was paying for me on three different credit cards behind her husband's back, right? They were broke as all hell. And I'm like, hey, hey, like, I'm going to get you the best value for your money, right? That's what I'm going to, like, I'll, I'll, I'll blow your socks off over here. That's all I can, that's all I can do. But to me, man, that sounded pretty crazy, right? But the, the pain she was in, she was masking the wall. And then I remember I had her down with 20 pounds and she had herniated discs in her back, right? She couldn't do a push-up, everything hurt. And all of a sudden she's doing push-ups, doing lunges, doing all this shit that she never could do, right? Doctor said she couldn't do it all of a sudden. And she said, I used to cry myself to sleep every night. And I haven't cried myself to sleep an entire month. All by getting the weight loss, just everything, right? And, and that's when it clicked. It wasn't just about scale. It wasn't just about the performance, right? It's what does that mean to that person? And when you can get somebody their life back, man, it's, I, I don't really know what's better. I don't have a lot of things I enjoy in this life. So like, Luckily, I have been fortunate to fall into something I do. Absolutely. Cody, this has been an unbelievable conversation. For people that want to learn more about you, your programs, where do people find you? Social media is going to be the best bet. So get on Instagram, Cody Watkins Fitness, C-O-D-Y-W-A-T-K-I-N-S-F-I-T-N-E-S-S. Same thing on Facebook. Cut the NES off it. If you want to see my personal profile, everything's open. But please shoot me a message, chat. If you got any questions, feel free to post them on there. Healthy Image Coaching is my website if you want to check that out as well. But we're much more active on social media than we ever are on the website. For all the listeners, as always, all of Cody's links will be in the podcast description. So if you are interested, make sure you go there to see all the amazing things that Cody's doing. Cody Watkins, everyone, this has been fantastic. Cody, I truly appreciate you spending some time with me. This was so insightful. I know I learned a lot and I absolutely just loved our conversation. This was fantastic. Well, it's been fantastic. Thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, everyone. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Make sure you click that subscribe button so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes to the end of the year or going into 2024. So stay driven, everybody. And until next time.